Hello, party people, and welcome to You Scared of This, a weekly podcast where two grown men watch every single episode of Nickelodeon's hit horror anthology series from the year 2000. And boy, was this episode from the year 2000. Some episodes are more from the year 2000 than others, (laughs) and this was one of them. After we've watched those year 2000 episodes, we try to determine whether or not they are still scary. And boy, sometimes they are not. Sometimes they're just not. (laughs) But that's okay. I'm I'm one of your hosts. My name is Eli Phillips. With me, as always, is my best friend and your other host, David Dykus. Dykus, how you doing? I am doing great. I cannot wait to talk about the tale of the time trap. Yeah. This week we're watching the tale of the time trap, and it is going to be a doozy. Oh, man. Oh, man. Did Ron Oliver come back from the dead to direct this episode? (laughs) We all remember that sad day when Ron Oliver died. Where were you when Ron Oliver died, Dykus? Well, I just couldn't believe it when I read that uh, that he was eaten by a werewolf during his surf rock concert. Yeah, <laughs> he died as he lived. Uh, no, this uh, we're going to be watching the 86th episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? It is the 8th episode of this season. It is directed by Jim Donovan and written by Jim Morris. But first, before we dive into that any further, should we talk about some Nick News? I think we need to talk about some Nick News because we have uh, we have a few things to talk about this week. Something that we should have talked about a month ago, but we didn't. We've alluded to it. We alluded to it, but I don't, we didn't give it the, the coverage it deserved for this show. No. So the biggest bit of Nick news that we need to report, and I actually not seen this confirmed until today, Paramount has announced a release date for the Are You Afraid of the Dark feature film. And we can say with 100% certainty that it's going to come out October 11th, 2019. Yeah, they had announced that, I think, like late last year because I remember us sort of talking about it, but it is officially set in stone now, it seems, because last month they released a like a teaser image, which was the new logo for Are You Afraid of the Dark, and it included that date, uh, so it looks like they are really pushing forward with it. October 11th. Eli, let's talk about this new logo for a second. It's, it appears to be the same classic Are You Afraid of the Dark font, mm-hmm. but reinvented for the 2010s, which means it's, it's shiny, it has some J.J. Abrams lens flare coming off of it for no reason, mm-hmm. and there's just a lit matchstick in the background, like, suspended in in the void. It's not great. <laughs> it's not It's not spooky. There's no, like, darkness or ambiance to it. Like, I yeah. don't want a, a brightly lit Are You Afraid of the Dark logo. Yeah, it really looks like they just applied too many Photoshop effects to it. I remember when I was making our logo and trying to get the font to look just right, um, I just kind of scrolled through different effects to see if adding any of them would help. They just said yes to all of those, like this was an improv show. Someone needs to just take this image and like run it through every Photoshop filter. <laughs> Listeners, somebody do it. We have it hosted or we have it posted on our Facebook. Someone fix this logo. And by yeah. fix it, I mean make it worse. <laughs> but there you go. Once we do the final Freddy's, now now we all know. Uh, when you can look forward to hearing from us again, it's going to be sometime around October 11th, 2019. You will hear from us before and after that date. Before we get to the episode, uh, we also have some horror anthology news, if that is within our wheelhouse. I can't remember if we talked about this months ago when it was first announced, but there have been some new details to come out about Gamerol Del Toro's Netflix horror anthology show. Oh, I haven't seen the new details about that. So I'm reading this on IGN. Gamerol Del Toro is going to be 
producing, writing, and in a few instances directing a live-action horror anthology on Netflix called Ten After Midnight. It says it will feature the award-winning filmmaker presenting a collection of personally curated stories, with each story said to be horrific and sophisticated. That's fun. A premiere date and episode count have not been announced. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in light of Guillermo del Toro winning multiple Oscars for Best Director and Best Picture, uh, I'm excited to see what he does with this. Hopefully they give him all the, the resources and tools to make the next great horror anthology show. Did we talk last week, you and I, after after we quit recording, we were talking about Disney's The Haunted Mansion. Did we talk about the fact that in, like, 2012, he turned in a treatment for a Haunted Mansion movie? You mentioned that really briefly, but I don't think we talked about it at length. Was it going to be, like, tragic and horrific? Yeah, he, he was like, we're definitely shooting for a PG-13, and this one is not going to be for kids. Oh, man. Now I, now I really want to see that movie. Which, like, the Pirates movies were PG-13, right? Yes. Like... There were ghosts in those. I feel like I feel like he could have gotten away with some good stuff. I don't know whatever. There's, according to Wikipedia, there is no other statement about that treatment, and about that like plan for him to do the movie. So it's possibly still on. Like no one has announced that it is scrapped. But given, you know, the fact that if Guillermo del Toro announces five movies, you should assume four of them are canceled. I feel like right. we probably don't need to be waiting for other comments. No. But yeah, looking forward to Ten After Midnight. Hopefully it will be successful enough that Disney will say we got to get back on that thing with him. <laughs> like this, we we've never avoided uh, that contract. He technically still owes us a movie. We should hold him to it. That's all the the nude business that I have. Uh, shall we get on to the tale of the time trap? Uh, really quickly, I want to point out that NBA NBA star Chris Paul is going to be hosting the uh, Kids Choice Sport Kid Sports the Kids Choice oh, Sports, Sports Awards, Awards this year. Uh, those are going to be in July. I guess we'll probably be done by the time those happen, so this might be the only mention they get. Probably so. Yeah. So that's a thing. And also, I'm seeing a whole lot of articles about how kids are not watching TV anymore. They're just watching Netflix. And all the articles are like, man, Nickelodeon is fucked. Well, that's an optimistic note to end our nude business on. That doesn't surprise me, though. The only other article I can find is about how uh, the SpongeBob musical is fucked. Which is a shame, because it is also like... One, it, it won, or it, it is tied for most nominations for a new musical this year. So, well, I'm sorry to hear that Nickelodeon is in sort might be in dire straits right now. But uh, hopefully things, hopefully that ends well for them. You have hopefully to they can at least get through. Hopefully they can at least get through the 2018 sports awards. Yeah, <laughs> you have to assume that they will have they will roll out their own streaming service soon enough. Uh, anyway, with all of that out of the way, yeah, let's let's dive right into the tale of the time trap. And this is a Tucker story. And when Tucker wanders up to the campfire, shit gets crazy almost immediately. <laughs> we open with Tucker passing out cookies from a dish. We we actually get a reference to a Grandma Agni. Yeah, which was yeah. nice. He says that then, she made the cookies. And then we hit the montage, and what a montage it is. Normally when you do a montage, you're showing different scenes. You're showing, like, different stuff happening. This just cuts between everyone eating too many cookies over and over and over. We get this insane montage of kids shoveling cookies into their mouths as fast as they can as some truly rockin' awesome music plays in the background. Words cannot do this justice. It is so surreal and grotesque the way that it's shot and edited. You know, we talked a while back when we were uh, discussing the show with Patricia when we were talking about Snick, 
we talked about how Are You Afraid of the Dark got a lot more kid-friendly over time. And this is sort of a, like, goofy, unrealistic, jokey moment that I don't think would have happened in one of the earlier episodes. But, yeah, it's just everyone, like, losing their minds eating cookies. This is literally a scene out of Rugrats. Yes, yes, literally. And once the montage is over, everyone's just holding their guts, moaning about how much pain they're in because they ate too many cookies. They're all saying, Tucker, no matter how much we beg, no matter how much we plead, you can't ever let us eat that many cookies again. Even if I beg, even if I cry, even if I threaten to beat your baby brains in? Okay, Angelica, we promise, we promise. Sadly, Tucker's story is not about eating too many cookies. Sadly, we do not get a literal cookie monster in this episode. Oh, that would have been great. There aren't even any Uh, cookies in the story. So as Tucker delights in his friend's pain, he explains that his story is also about how too much of a good thing can be trouble. Thus beginning the tale of the time trap. Yep, he throws them cookies right on the fire. No, wait. (laughs) And Quinn jumps on the fire to save them and dies. (laughs) It's a very Gollum moment. (laughs) That's not what happens. (laughs) That's not what happens at all. Uh, When we open, we meet Jay Baruchel, back from the dead. No, 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 no. We don't meet Jay Baruchel. Before we meet any of our young protagonists, we meet somebody else. A crazy, disheveled man with the tallest hair I've ever seen. Yeah, named he, Bobo. I got a real Beekman's World feel from Bobo. <laughs> yeah, he has this sort of, like, disoriented, strung-out uh, way about him. Bobo is running into Sardo's shop, seemingly to hide from someone. Uh, Sardo doesn't recognize him. Apparently, Bobo and Sardo have had some sort of working relationship in the past, but now Bobo is not is looking a bit worse for wear. He staggers into the Magic Mansion and offers Sardo the metal box that he's been clutching to his chest. It's this arcane-looking box covered in runes and symbols. Bobo Sorry. offers it to him for various amounts of money and finally says, just take it. You can have it for free. Sardo's eyes light up, and he accepts the box. This is such a this is such a great moment. You know, Bobo's like, I've fallen on hard times, Sardo. I need your help. And Sardo says, Well, anything I can do. I need money. Well, almost anything. I distinctly said almost. Sardo is just on fire this episode with the quips. I appreciate that when Bobo first walks into Sardo's shop, Sardo is at a little bar cart making himself a drink. I think well, he's, he's making he's... himself a screwdriver. I don't know, because, like, he hastily covers up the beverages later on in the episode. I wondered if he was making something that wasn't uh, safe for kids. He's making some sort of alcoholic drink with orange juice in it. So anyway, Bobo offers this magic box to Sardo. Sardo takes it, and Bobo reacts in a way that can only be described as orgasmic. Yeah, he starts doing these, like, buckwild faces and laughing. Sardo's like, what the fuck is going on with you? And Bobo says, Oh, this is funny because you finally are losing on the deal. <laughs> if that's true, A, why would you immediately say it? And B, if you're Sardo, you got this thing for free. If you're losing on the deal, just throw the thing away. I, I think we'll find that's not quite that easy. But now we meet our one young protagonist whose name is Jason and who is played by our second or third favorite recurring actor on the show, Mr. Jay Baruchel. He's back. And he is losing at dodgeball. We get a montage of scenes establishing that Jason is a loser. We see him get his sternum broken in a game of dodgeball. He gets rejected by a girl. 
He gets well. He makes a fool of himself in front of his crush later that day. Yeah, and also not to put too fine a point on it. During this dodgeball game earlier, one of the jocks yells out, "Loser!" after pummeling him. Loser! Just to drive the point home. Later that day, Jason nearly encounters his crush again while he's walking back to his house. Uh, to avoid another awkward encounter, Jason ducks into the nearest building he could find, which just happens to be, of course, the Magic Mansion. How much business does Sardo get just because kids are, like, ducking into the shop <laughs> to the avoid s- girls? I wanted, to, I wanted to point this out. This is the second episode in a row where someone goes into the Mag- Magic Mansion just because it happens to be nearby. Because it's it, happened multiple times. It must work for him. He, that's why he Sar- picked that corner. As soon as Jason steps in, Sardo begins shilling his wares. But first, before we talk about those wares he's shilling, it's time for this week's random observation of crap in the background. I knew it was coming. Sardo, <laughs> there's... I mean, no trip to the Magic Mansion is complete without a random observation of crap in the background. What What did you have this week, Eli? This is a special week for random observations of crap in the background, because this is the first time on record we've had the same random observation of crap in the background for two weeks. Did you notice Sardo's computer? Oh, yes. Yep, I've got it in my notes here. It's, Sardo it's, is apparently hired... Uh, the girl from the flower shop to decorate his computer as well. He has the same pink monitor, but now it has stars and moons all over it. I was so I was so delighted to see this next to his bar cart. I mean, I guess it fits with I guess it fits with the aesthetic of the Magic Mansion, where nothing makes sense. Yeah, but yeah. It, it. I'm glad you pointed that out. Now I wish I had like a big boxy old PC that I could decorate Lisa Frank style. I'm gonna I'm gonna find a, a working CRT monitor somewhere and paint it that that sort of like off pink for you. Yeah, I would like that. So like you said, Sardo starts immediately trying to sell all of his crap to Jay Baruchel. Jay Baruchel didn't even come in here looking for anything. Sardo no. was just hustling him. Uh, he tries to sell him some potion. Jay Baruchel is like, no, I don't need that potion. Uh, so he says, what about this Persian victory box? It gives you the courage to succeed. You just put your hand on it and make a wish. Yeah, Sardo pulls out the metal box that he was, that Bobo pawned off on him and claims that it's a Persian victory box, like you said. If, okay, if I'm Jason here, I'm not buying anything called a victory box. That sounds just a little bit too much like a glory hole for my liking. <laughs> It definitely sounds like Persian Victory Box does sound like it should be on the Urban Dictionary. And I definitely don't want to buy something like that secondhand. <laughs> and this is made even creepier when Sardo says, Imagine what it could do for your love life. <laughs> My favorite line of this entire scene is, is he finally convinces Jason that, yeah, he should buy this. And uh, Jason's like, cool, I'll take it. And Sardo goes, well, it's very expensive. Jason says, well, no, I don't believe it works. <laughs> Sardo says, maybe it's very cheap. Of course, Jason winds up with the victory box, takes it home, and places his hand on the box and makes a wish that he had the confidence to talk to girls or that girls liked him. Yeah, he wishes he was the kind of guy that girls like. As soon as Jason looks away, we see a light emerge from within the box, and we hear some Persian chimes in the background. Get used to that sound effect, because you're going to hear it about a dozen times in this episode, if not more. Despite the fact that, like, he made up this being a Persian victory box, there's no reason- Yes! There's no reason why it should be Persian-themed. I mean, I guess that, like- This is every Sardo episode where he sells some magical artifact, makes up a story about how it works, and then ends up being, like, 
That's exactly how it actually works. I mean, this doesn't work exactly like he says it does. So Jason makes this wish. The next day at school, he finds himself tailed by a new girl. A girl named Belle. And, oh my god, the year 2000 just threw up all over this character. I get that they wanted to make this quirky, or they wanted to make this in some way more than just a person. You know, you could have done makeup, or you could have done... Uh, a really interesting actor. Instead, it's a teenage oh, girl. Oh no, th- those those options would have been too dignified. It's a teenage girl about the same age as Jay, and to to make her stand out from everyone around her, she's dressed like she's going to a concert with Hilary Duff on Lizzie McGuire, and she's wearing a white wig that looks like something <laughs> out of like Xenon. She is she has got a platinum blonde wig. Like, a belly shirt, fur coat, bell bottoms, and she is just hyperactive. She is a manic, in some ways, almost a literal manic pixie dream girl. She is a manic pixie nightmare. Yes. She is, and I have in my notes here, she is at once incredibly irritating, but also kind of great. Yeah. It's funny because I enjoy her character, despite the fact that she is not at all likable. So this girl introduces herself as Belle, and she tells Jason that she is there to grant his every wish. And in response to the wish he made the night before, where he wished that girls liked him, she basically tries to sell him like a carnival barker. She, like, rubs herself all over him and says, isn't he amazing? Like, that is actually going to... Did he wish for girls to notice him? Was that it? Well, she flirts with him in front of some popular girls, and they all kind of, like, give him some sultry looks. The next scene is Jay Baruchel in class. Uh, Belle has followed him to class, and it, she says she's just going to follow him around and grant all of his wishes, which he does not want her to do. He's upset because he forgot his book report, so she magically makes one appear in his backpack. Um, when he is called on to stand up and give his book report about Treasure Island, he starts reading it, only to realize that it is a book report about the movies that have been made about Treasure Island. <laughs> not even the story in the movies, but comparing the different film iterations of the of the book against one another. Also, no one seems to notice or care that there's a new student in this classroom who has platinum blonde hair and a fur coat and has never appeared there before. Maybe she can make herself visible only to him. We need to talk about his or her review of the Treasure Island movies because she specifically calls out the one with puppets. Ha <laughs> ha! Oh my gosh, I totally forgot. I didn't even realize what she was referencing there. Uh, There have been many versions of Treasure Island. My personal favorite is the old black and white one. Uh, The one with the puppets was kind of stupid. And it's like, (laughs) fuck off, woman. (laughs) Oh, that must have touched a nerve for you. Uh, I had to watch this episode twice. The first time I turned it off right then and there. (laughs) Is is Muppet Treasure Island a good movie, though? No, Muppet Treasure Island is not a good movie. I mean, I guess it's just salt in the wound that they called it out in an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, you didn't have to do that. There have probably been other adaptations of Treasure... You could (laughs) have had Treasure Planet already come out. You could have called that one out. No, I I thought about that. No, it was still a couple years off. Well, fuck. Anyway, the rest of the school day goes by. Uh, He keeps making wishes, and stuff keeps kind of going weird for him. For example, he is going to lose at dodgeball again, so she makes him a terrific athlete. He can dodge every ball. This is like the second or third best part of the episode. We get yet another montage as Jason is just picking off every member of the other team by himself with like sweet trick shots. 
Yeah, and violence. He hits them all in the face. He hits everyone in the face. We get some sweet, like, fast motion video effects here. Uh, there's a we get a knockoff Harlem Globetrotters theme playing in the background just just to like lay it on really thick here. The perspective from the camera becomes the perspective of the ball flying towards someone. But just when he's about to murder the school bully with the dodgeball, the bully ducks and he ends up blasting the PE teacher right in the face and gets yeah. another detention. He gets double detention. So after doing his time, Jason confronts Belle outside of school, who explains that she is a genie, and she can grant his every wish. And since Jason has had two detentions in a row and missed the bus, she grants him a brand new car! Which she claims is hers. And not just any brand, this is a fucking Porsche! Like, this is a rad sports car, complete with goggles and driving gloves. Yeah, some very weird bondage-looking leather driving gloves. This is also told to us in montage form, I just have to point out. As soon as Jason's about to speed away, the cops pull up, ask for his license and registration, and because this car just appeared from Hammerspace, it has no registration. <laughs> and so Jason and Bill are both taken straight to jail! Yeah, they look like they're in the jail cells from phone police. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's this same, like, low-light, black-box theater jail. And if you thought things were crazy before, we're just getting started. While this they're in the jail, Jason, Jason vents to Belle about, why do you keep granting all my wishes in an ironic, bad way? And she basically just explains that she's bored, right? She says it's because it's fun. She's been locked up in her box for so long that when she gets out, she only wants to create chaos. And she rattles off a list of things she's done in the past. Someone once wished for an exciting voyage. I gave them the Titanic. A kid didn't want to go on a camping trip. I exploded the volcano at Mount St. Helens. World War I? A reporter wanted an interesting story. She's the reason for World War One. <laughs> I like the fact that they weren't brave enough to have her be the reason for World War II. It was just too recent. <laughs> they tease it, though. They almost go there. So, like, uh, World War Two? Oh, yeah. Nah, wasn't mine. Nice work, though. Jesus Christ, this woman is a genocidal maniac. Yeah, what a fucked up nightmare. Also, like, how old is she? Why is she wearing these clothes if she's been in that if she's been in that Persian victory box for like hundreds of years? She craves excitement and she has to wear exciting clothes. Like, this character is the most evil villain we've ever had on the show. Ever! Yeah, she, she's like worse than the dark music. She's so much worse than the dark music. She's like ten Hitlers. <laughs> she's like if the Joker had the power of a god. So he wishes that uh, he could get away from her, and she basically teleports him into a black void. Uh, he's just alone in, like, nothingness. So then he wishes he was back with her, and they're in jail together. How did they get out of jail? He wishes his way out. He wishes himself back to the Magic Mansion. Oh, yeah, he tries to give the box back to Sardo at that point. Sardo is confused by this. He's like, hold on, let me get this straight. I sold you that box for cheap. I told you it had a genie in it, and it did. It's a girl who will do whatever you say, and you want to return it? And once again, you see Sardo's eyes just light up. Uh, <laughs> they go back to Jason's house. Sardo goes back home with Jason, still wearing his cape. Sardo is dressed more like a flamboyant pirate in this episode. Like, his outfit has gotten more and more extreme over time. 
This is why Titus Burgess has to play Sardo in an Are You Afraid of the Dark reboot. They're both flamboyant. They both love capes. <laughs> he would be a great uh, Sardo. So they end up back at Jason's house. The weirdest part of this is that Jason's mom sees them both and says, who's that guy? And Jason's like, oh, he's uh, one of my teachers. And uh, he's just here to help me with an assignment. And the mom is like, okay, cool. You guys have fun. I'm going to leave you alone. Yeah, pay no attention to the man dressed like a pirate at Mardi Gras with a cape. Yeah, the man who fell into a box of scarves. That's bad parenting. (laughs) So Jason and Sardo make a run for the box, but Belle appears and says that Sardo can't just take the box back. He's already passed it on to its next master. Jason wishes himself out of this nightmare. He phrases it just like that. And suddenly he looks up and finds himself in a totally different version of his house. His mom comes out. And this is where, like, the Ron Oliver influence really hits hard. His mom is wearing rollers and a leopard print robe. It's almost like Ron wandered onto set just for this scene. Jason says, like, hey, mom, it's me. And his mom screams and demands to know who he is and why he's in the house. She says her husband will be home soon. And Sardo picks up a picture of her and her husband, and he's in his police officer uniform. (laughs) The mom runs out of the house to, to tell this to the, the, the police officer husband who just got home. <laughs> I'm just going to drop in the audio here. At least he's alone. Instant hard cut to a hundred cop cars showing up at the house. <laughs> My, that was quick. Beautiful. Beautifully written, beautifully executed. <laughs> it's so dumb. The cops threaten them with tear gas. Jason and Sardo are frantically trying to think of a way to trick Belle into stopping all of this madness. They need to think of a foolproof wish. And finally, Jason wishes that Sardo had a wish. Sardo gets really excited about this. He gets the most perverse grin on his face. There are a lot of scenes in this episode where Sardo or other adults are just, like, way too happy about these things. They look like they're about to bust a nut. Sardo wishes for a million wishes, and when he does... He disappears, and in his place is Belle, and she's super excited. She's like, ah, that's perfect. That's exactly what I wished for. She opens up the box, and we see that now Sardo is trapped inside the Persian victory box. Does that mean that the genie was in the box the whole time? Does that mean that when Bobo handed the box to Sardo, Sardo opened it and saw a tiny woman inside of it and still sold it? Yes. Sardo has become the genie. Belle explains that they, she wished They pulled from, a real end of Aladdin on, on, on us here. Yeah, phenomenal cosmic powers, itty-bitty living space. Uh, she explains so, that she wished for a million wishes, and she looks into the box at Sardo and says, you got a million wishes, but you have to grant them for other people. Ah, that's how they get you. Irony. That's some O. Henry shit. Who is a, cl- a character in the classic O. Henry mold. Belle the platinum-haired... Yeah. You remember that story. So Belle, freed from her prison, just saunters out of the house. Now Sardo is a genie. With seconds to spare, Jason wishes that it was yesterday. Sardo grants that wish, and in a pretty impressive visual, we rewind through literally the entire episode. Yep, they linger on on shots just long enough for you to kind of appreciate it. Uh, We are back at the exact moment where Jason ducked inside the magic shop to hide from his crush. Only this time, instead of hiding from her, he decides to ask her on a date, and she says yes. And they strike up a conversation. Meanwhile, inside the Magic Mansion, Sardo puts the box on display in the window. The end. The end. 
Uh, everyone but, at the Midnight Society tells Tucker, "Good job." They're like, "Hey, everyone, everything ended up okay, and that that girl ended up back in that box <laughs> to wreak havoc on the future." And then Tucker pulls out the box from out of nowhere, and everyone screams and runs away, except for Quinn, who, by his own admission, is dying. Quinn has eaten too many cookies and cannot move. Tucker hoists him onto his shoulders and helps lead him out of the forest as we get one final little Middle Eastern musical forest to play us out. And then, funky-ass theme song. Funky-ass theme song. And Dicus, that was the tale of the time trap. Oh man, what an episode. (laughs) This was, I think, as perfect a send-off as Sardo and Jay Baruchel were going to get. I think that it's important for us to establish what kind of episode this is. And so, in order to get all of that out of the way, I'm going to ask you right now. Dicus, you scared of this? No, I was not. Me neither. This episode didn't try to scare us once. And if an episode doesn't try to scare us and still succeeds, I don't hold that against it. No, this episode was never scary. But I I gotta say, from beginning to end, this episode was... Fun. This was so consistently fun. Yeah, uh, this Jay Baruchel once again does a great job as the sort of like sad, pathetic character. Uh, he's basically playing the same person he did from The Walking Shadow, and yeah. he makes it funny. Like it's it's you you kind of sympathize with him, but he's comical about it. He's kind of dry in his dealings with Sardo, which is also amusing. Like he's just clever enough. So. Before he sasses of- back with both Sardo and the genie, which is appreciated. Like, he doesn't... Yes. He never lets them, like, completely dominate a scene. Yeah. Uh, so he's great. Sardo is in top form, like we mentioned. Bobo is such a wonderful addition. I wish we got more Bobo in Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. It makes you wonder what he's been up to this whole time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The actress who plays Belle did a great job. She was also in The Tale of the Dark Dragon, so this is sort of redemption for her seven years later. Oh, wow. Did not realize. Yeah, I think she's like the little sister or something, maybe. I don't remember. Everyone did a good job. The writing was funny. Like you said, this felt like a Ron Oliver episode. The thing I really appreciate about this episode is just how it builds and builds and builds. Like, it's always silly and fun, but they keep, like, very gradually raising the stakes from, like, Jason losing his homework to Jason losing his sports car to Jason losing his family. Yeah, it's an episode that starts and doesn't stop in almost a Mad Max manner. Uh, And it's rare that you see an episode that that builds so consistently well. Uh, Yeah, this is just fantastic. This might be a top ten episode for me, I'll be honest. (laughs) I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, something else that we need to talk about really quickly is the fact that this is our final Sardo episode. Yep, cue up that sad tuba playing taps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to talk about the end of Sardo here. Sardo, the only character in the entire show who appeared in all seven seasons. Uh, Gary. No, Gary was not in season oh, six. That's right, he wasn't in six. Yep, Sardo, Richard Dumont is the only actor who appeared in every season. And his episodes, just to recap, were Tale of the Super Specs, Dark Dragon, Carved Stone, Cutter's Treasure, Parts 1 and 2, Door Unlocked, Oblivion, and Time Trap. I think his episodes got better as they went. I, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, he hit a little bit of a lull with Dark Dragon and Carved Stone, but yeah, they just got better and better. 
It's amazing that Sardo's character never grows or changes during that time. He's always the same, like, greedy, bumbling kind of oaf. But it's always a delight when he shows up. And I think that speaks to the writers and the, the makers of the show, like, knowing just when to use him so they never wore out his welcome. Yeah, you get the feeling that, like, Richard Dumont became more and more comfortable in the Sardo character as he went. And it was a situation where they they trotted him out just enough yeah. to, like, re- to never get old, but to get better every time. Looking at Richard DeMont's Wikipedia page, I, I, I checked to see what else he did after this, or aside from this. Uh, he's a, I've never seen another actor with so many credits that I had never heard of. He has been <laughs> in at least a hundred animated movies or TV shows that are all either direct-to-video or Canadian obscurities. Yeah, he does a lot of voice acting. Um, yeah. I, I know that at one point I was emailing back and forth with him, and he had just gotten done recording some audio for a commercial for one of the Pokemon games that had just come out. But anyway, very sad to see Sardo go. Here's a character that that elevated every episode he was in. Let's just take a moment to reflect on some of Sardo's greatest hits. They call me Sardo. 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 No, mister. Accent on the dough. Sardo is my name, and help is exactly what I have to offer. What are you looking for? Perhaps a flask of popularity potion. Or a doorway that can show the future. Have you seen our vomit? Have you seen our vomit? Have you seen our vomit? What'll it cost? It's a steal at, uh... Sixty-four ninety-five. What? Fifty dollars. What? Forty-four ninety-five. Forty dollars. Forty dollars. All right, thirty-five. I can't afford it. Thirty dollars. Thirty dollars. Ten dollars. I distinctly said ten. But I'm losing on the deal. 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 All right. But I'm losing on the deal. Hello. Sardo, you in there? Sardo. Sardo. What's your name? It's Sardo. Uh, let's not go there. <laughs> what is that? That guy. There was no cause to be worried. I had everything under control. Take the children! I am very, very embarrassed for this guy. Thanks, Mr. Sardo. Sardo! Sardo! Got to get out of this business. Bye now, or... Bye now. Goodbye. talk about here is that this is tucker's last sardo story he did two sardo stories himself well, that was a nice touch that i I'd never really considered that tucker that tucker continues the legacy of that character when gary's gone that's nice yeah i mean how do tucker's sardo stories compare to gary's sardo stories i mean he only told two and they were both pretty good <laughs> tucker's sardo stories were time trap and oblivion we both re- liked really liked both of those episodes but then in, in the in the OG Midnight Society, you know, Super Specs was a good episode. Cutter's Treasure was mostly fun. Door Unlocked was fun. And even Dark Dragon and Carvestone had their moments. He's really more of an adventure guy than he is a, a horror character. Like, he doesn't appear in many scary stories. I would say Super Specs and Dark Dragon are some of the darker episodes that he's in. Super Specs for sure. All the other ones, yeah, you're right. They're all kind of fun, adventurous romps. 
Yeah, if you need a ma- if you need a story about a magician and it's supposed to be scary, you have to call Shandu. Man, I've, if only we had gotten that Shandu Sardo <laughs> crossover episode. All right, the the movie has to be <laughs> Shandu needs help from Doctor Vink, so he calls Sardo because that's the connection, and they form their own Avengers style supergroup to defeat Goth. <laughs> I was gonna say to defeat Zebo the Clown. Uh, who Zebo the Clown is like when uh, it's like when Gozer the Gozerian creates the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Goth creates <laughs> Zebo the Clown. <laughs> okay, I like it. This is my this is my fan fiction headcanon. I guess let's also give a quick goodbye to Jay Baruchel, who appeared in four episodes: Dead Man's Float, Zombie Dice, Walking Shadow, and The Time Trap. Uh, he went on to a healthy career appearing in sort of middle of the road late. 2000s, early 2010 movies and TV shows. I think he was definitely one of the best kid actors on the show, and he was always perfectly cast as the awkward teenager. He was very well used. So I'm glad at least one actor really used Are You Afraid of the Dark as a launching point for their decent career. about how uh, this season almost everyone tells two episodes in a row and starting next week we will be we will be wrapping up our Andy stories with the first of two final the, the penultimate Andy stories next week so join us yep. then for the tale of the photo finish yep until then we want to thank you all for listening you can find us online at facebook.com slash you scared of this we're on twitter at you scared of this uh, listen to our entire back catalog get caught up with old episodes at soundcloud.com slash you scared of this. I've been going back and listening to some of the old episodes recently, uh, making preparations for the final Freddy's, and there's a lot of fun stuff out there that I had totally forgotten about, so I encourage everyone to check out some of the classic You Scared of This episodes. What what are your what are your favorite old episodes as of right now? Oh my gosh. I mean the one I laughed the hardest at was uh probably a fair I mean it was fairly recent in terms of like episode count, but the the tale of a door unlocked actually has one very funny tangent in it that I had forgotten about. In the earlier episodes, we play. There were a lot more, I think, random pop culture references. I was a lot more like liberal in the music that I would use to score the episodes, just random songs and stuff, and that always makes me laugh. Yeah, your musical cues early on were quite a joy. Uh, so go back and check those out on SoundCloud. Like you said, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music, whatever. And until next week, you want to do this one? Oh, yeah. Thanks for thanks for offering. Uh, until next week, when we begin the countdown to the final five episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark? I hereby declare this episode of You Scared of This closed. Dump those cookies on the fire to put it out. <laughs> That's what Smokey taught us. Sir?